0: But before we get to tonight's reading, I just want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon.com. It really, really means a lot, so if you're listening and you are a supporting patron, you're awesome. Thank you so much for what you do. I really appreciate it. And if you listening uh, are not a patron of the show... Um, that's fine because I hope the show just helps you get to sleep. Um, but if you want to be a part of making the show and have your name read in the opening credits of the next show uh, after you donate, you can go to patreon.com slash sleepy radio and donate even a dollar a month. It goes a really long way. And at five dollars a month, you get access to all kinds of poetry readings that are not on the regular podcast feed, so they're exclusive bonus episodes, a lot more bedtime content. But no matter how much you donate, I will read your name in the opening credits of the next show after you do. So again, that's patreon.com slash sleepy radio. Thank you. And as always, the music you're hearing, is by my good friend James Lewkowski and the cover of for Sleepy is by Gracie Kanan. Tonight I'm going to be reading a story that I've been wanting to read for a while and wanting to get to this July as it is the most patriotic month in the US. Um... It's the Autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, published in 1791. Um, It turns out Benjamin Franklin was a pretty wonderful writer, really relatable, um, really easy to connect with the, the actual writing, and he's a good storyteller. And his autobiography is kind of hailed as one of the best examples of memoir in history. Um, This autobiography is separated into a few parts, and part one is actually kind of written as a letter addressed to his son, William. So, kind of him recollecting his life to share with his kid, and um, have his son learn more about him, which I think is really beautiful. So, I don't think we've ever really read any memoirs on the show, but this one is a pretty famous one, and it's a really well-told story, so I hope that it helps you drift off and doze into a deep, deep slumber. Now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes. And let me read to you. Chapter 1. Ancestry and Early Youth in Boston Dear son, I have ever had pleasure in obtaining any little anecdotes of my ancestors. You may remember the inquiries I made among the remains of my relations when you were with me in England and the journey I undertook for that purpose. Imagining it may be equally agreeable to you to know the circumstances of my life, many of which you are yet unacquainted with, and expecting the enjoyment of a week's uninterrupted leisure in my present country retirement. I sit down to write them for you. To which I have besides some other inducements. Having emerged from the poverty and obscurity in which I was born and bred, to the state of affluence and some degree of reputation in the world, and having gone so far through life with a considerable share of felicity, the conducing means I made use of, which with the blessing of God so well succeeded. My posterity may like to know, as they may find some of them suitable to their own situations, and therefore fit to be imitated. That felicity, when I reflected on it, has induced me to sometimes say that were it offered to my choice, I should have no objection to a repetition of the same life from its beginning, only asking the advantages authors have in a second edition to correct some faults of the first. So I might, besides correcting the faults, change some sinister accidents and events of it for others more favorable. But though this were denied, I should still accept the offer. Since such a repetition is not to be expected, the next thing most like living one's life over again seems to be a recollection of that life. And to make that recollection as durable as possible by putting it down in writing. Here too, I shall indulge the inclination so natural in old men. To be talking of themselves and their own past actions. And I shall indulge it without being tiresome to others. Who through respect to age. Might conceive themselves obliged to give me a hearing. Since this may be read or not as anyone pleases. And lastly I may as well confess it. Since my denial of it will be believed by nobody. Perhaps I shall a good deal gratify my own vanity. Indeed, I scarce ever heard or saw the introductory words without vanity, I may say, etc. but some vain thing immediately followed. Most people dislike vanity in others, whatever share they have of it themselves, but I give it fair quarter wherever I meet with it, being persuaded that it is often productive of good to the possessor and to others that are within his sphere of action, and therefore in many cases, it would not be altogether absurd if a man were to thank God for his vanity among the other comforts of life. But now, I speak of thanking God, I desire with all humility to acknowledge that I owe the mentioned happiness of my past life to his kind providence, which led me to the means I used and gave them success. My belief of this induces me to hope, though I must not presume that the same goodness will still be exercised toward me in continuing that happiness, or enabling me to bear a fatal reverse which I may experience as others have done, the complexion of my future fortune being known to him only in whose power it is to bless to us even our afflictions. The notes, one of my uncles, with the same kind of curiosity in collecting family anecdotes, once put into my hands, furnished me with several particulars relating to our ancestors. From these notes I learned that the family had lived in the same village, Acton, in Northamptonshire for 300 years, and how much longer he knew not. Perhaps from the time when the name of Franklin, that before was the name of an order of people, was assumed by them as a surname, when others took surnames all over the kingdom, on a freehold of about thirty acres, aided by the smith's business, which had continued in the family till his time. The eldest son being always bred to that business, a custom which he and my father followed as to their eldest sons. When I searched the registers at Acton, I found an account of their births, marriages, and burials from the year 1555 only, there being no registers kept in that parish at any time preceding. By that register... I perceived that I was the youngest son of the youngest son for five generations back. My grandfather, Thomas, who was born in 1598, lived at Acton till he grew too old to follow business any longer when he went to go live with his son, John, a dyer at Banbury in Oxfordshire, with whom my father served an apprenticeship. There my grandfather died and lies buried. We saw his gravestone in 1758. His eldest son, Thomas, lived in the house at Acton and left it with the land to his only child, who with her husband, one fisher of Wellingborough, sold it to Mr. Iste, now lord of the manor there. My grandfather had four sons that grew up Thomas, John, Benjamin, and Josiah I will give you what account I can of them at this distance from my papers and if these are not lost in my absence you will among them find many more particulars Thomas was bred a smith under his father but being ingenious and encouraged in learning as all my brothers were by an Esquire Palmer, then the principal gentleman in that parish, he qualified himself for the business of scrivener, became a considerable man in the county, was a chief mover of all public spirited undertakings for the county or town of Northampton, and his own village, of which many instances were related of him, and much taken notice of and patronized by. then-Lord Halifax. He died in 1702, January 6, old style, just four years to a day before I was born. The account we received of his life and character from some old people at Acton, I remember, struck you as something extraordinary, from its similarity to what you knew of mine. Had he died on the same day, you said, one might have supposed a transmigration. John was bred a dyer, I believe of woolens. Benjamin was bred a silk dyer, serving an apprenticeship at London. He was an ingenious man. I remember him well, for when I was a boy, he came over to my father in Boston And lived in the house with us some years He lived to a great age His grandson, Samuel Franklin, now lives in Boston He left behind him two quarto volumes of his own poetry Consisting of little occasional pieces addressed to his friends and relations Of which the following, sent to me, is a specimen He had formed a shorthand of his own, which he taught me, but never practicing it, I have now forgot it. I was named after this uncle, there being a particular affection between him and my father. He was very pious, a great attender of sermons of the best preachers, which he took down in his shorthand, and with him had many volumes of them. He was also much of a politician Too much perhaps for his station There fell lately into my hands in London A collection he had made of all the principal pamphlets Relating to public affairs From 1641 to 1717 Many of the volumes are wanting as appears by the numbering But there still remain eight volumes in folio and 24 in quarto and in an octavo. A dealer in old books met with them, but knowing me by my sometimes buying of him, he brought them to me. This obscure family of ours was early in the Reformation and continued Protestants through the reign of Queen Mary, when they were sometimes in danger of trouble on account of their zeal against popery. They had got an English Bible, and to conceal and secure it, it was fastened open with tapes under and within the cover of a joint stool. When my great-great-grandfather read it to his family, he turned up the joint stool upon his knees, turning over the leaves and under the tapes, One of the children stood at the door to give notice if he saw the apparitor coming, who was an officer of the spiritual court. In that case, the stool was turned down again upon its feet, and the Bible remained concealed under it as before. This anecdote I had from my Uncle Benjamin. The family continued all of the Church of England till about the end of Charles II's reign when some of the ministers that had been outed for nonconformity holding conventicles in Northamptonshire Benjamin and Josiah adhered to them and so continued all their lives the rest of the family remained with the Episcopal Church Josiah, my father, married young and carried his wife with three children into New England, about 1682. The conventicles, having been forbidden by law and frequently disturbed, induced some considerable men of his acquaintance to remove to that country, and he was prevailed with to accompany them thither, where they expected to enjoy their mode of religion with freedom. By the same wife, he had four children, more born there, and by a second wife, ten more, and all seventeen, of which I remember thirteen sitting at one time at his table, who all grew up to be men and women and married. I was the youngest son and the youngest child but two and was born in Boston, New England. My mother, the second wife, was Abiah Folger, daughter of Peter Folger, one of the first settlers in New England, of whom honorable mention is made by Cotton Mather in his church history of that country, entitled Magnalia Christi Americana, as a godly, learned Englishman, if I remember the words rightly. I have heard that he wrote sundry, small, occasional pieces, but only one of them was printed, which I saw now many years since. It was written in 1675 in the homespun verse of that time and people, and addressed to those then concerned in the government there. It was in favor of liberty, of conscience, and in behalf of the Baptists, Quakers, and other sectaries that had been under persecution, Ascribing the Indian wars and other distresses that had befallen the country To that persecution as so many judgments of God to punish so heinous an offense And exhorting a repeal of those uncharitable laws The whole appeared to me as written with a good deal of decent plainness and mainly freedom The six concluding lines I remember though I have forgotten the two of the stanza, but the purport of them was that his censures proceeded from goodwill, and therefore he would be known to be the author. Because to be a libeler, says he, I hate it with my heart. From Town, where now I dwell, my name I do put here, without offense your real friend, it is Peter Folger. My elder brothers were all but apprentices to different trades. I was put to the grammar school at eight years of age, my father intending to devote me as the tith of his sons to the service of the church. My early readiness in learning to read, which must have been very early, as I do not remember when I could not read, and the opinion of all his friends that I should certainly make a good scholar encouraged him in this purpose of his. My uncle Benjamin, too, approved of it and proposed to give me all his shorthand volumes of sermons I suppose as a stock to set up with if I would learn his character. I continued, however, at the grammar school not quite one year, though in that time had risen gradually from the middle of the class of that year to be the head of it. The father was removed into the next class above it in order to go with that into the third at the end of the year. But my father, in the meantime, from a view of the expense of a college education which having so large a family he could not well afford, and the mean living many so educated were afterwards able to obtain. Reasons that he gave to his friends in my hearing altered his first intention, took me from the grammar school and sent me to a school for writing and arithmetic, kept by a then-famous man, Mr. George Brownell, very successful in his profession generally, and that, by mild encouraging methods, Under him I acquired fair writing pretty soon but I failed in the arithmetic and made no progress in it. At ten years old I was taken home to assist my father in his business which was that of a tallow chandler and soap boiler. A business he was not bred to but had assumed on his arrival in New England and on finding his dying trade would not maintain his family being in little request. Accordingly, I was employed in cutting wick for the candles, filling the dipping mold and the molds for cast candles, attending the shop, going of errands, etc. I disliked the trade and had a strong inclination for the sea, but my father declared against it. However, Living near the water, I was much in and about it, learned early to swim well and to manage boats, and when in a boat or canoe with the other boys. I was commonly allowed to govern, especially in any case of difficulty, and upon other occasions I was generally a leader among the boys and sometimes led them into scrapes, of which I will mention one instance as it shows an early projecting public spirit, though not then justly conducted. There was a salt marsh, that bounded part of the mill pond, on the edge of which, at high water, we used to stand and fish for minnows. By much trampling, we had made it a mere quagmire. My proposal was to build a wharf there fit for us to stand upon and I showed my comrades a large heap of stones which were intended for a new house near the marsh and which would very well suit our purpose. Accordingly, in the evening when the workmen were gone I assembled a number of my playfellows and working with them diligently like so many Emmets sometimes two or three to a stone We brought them all away and built our little wharf. The next morning the workmen were surprised at missing the stones which were found in our wharf. Inquiry was made after our removers. We were discovered and complained of. Several of us were corrected by our fathers and, though I pleaded the usefulness of the work, mine convinced me that nothing was useful which was not honest. I think you may like to know something of his person and character. He had an excellent constitution of body, was of middle stature, but well set and very strong. He was ingenious, could draw prettily, was skilled a little in music and had a clear, pleasing voice, so that when he played solemn tunes on his violin and sung with awe. As he sometimes did in an evening after the business of the day was over, it was extremely agreeable to hear. He had mechanical genius too, and on occasion was very handy in the use of other tradesmen's tools. But his great excellence lay in a sound understanding and solid judgment in prudential matters, both in private and public affairs. In the latter, indeed, he was never employed, the numerous family he had to educate, and the straightness of his circumstances keeping him close to his train. But I remember well his being frequently visited by leading people, who consulted him for his opinion in affairs of the town or of the church he belonged to, and showed a good deal of respect for his judgment and advice. He was also much consulted by private persons about their affairs when any difficulty occurred and frequently chosen an arbitrator between contending parties. At his table he liked to have, as often as he could, some sensible friend or neighbor to converse with and always took care to start some ingenious or useful topic for discourse which might tend to improve the minds of his children. By this means he turned our attention to what was good, just, and prudent in the conduct of life, and little or no notice was ever taken of what related to the victuals on the table, whether it was well or ill-dressed, in or out of season, of good or bad flavor preferable or inferior to this or that other thing of the kind, so that I was brought in such a perfect inattention to those matters as to be quite indifferent what kind of food was set before me, and so unobservant of it, that to this day, if I am asked, I can scarce tell a few hours after dinner what I dined upon. This has been a convenience to me in traveling, where my companions have been sometimes very unhappy for want of a suitable gratification of their more delicate, because better instructed, tastes and appetites. My mother had likewise an excellent constitution. She suckled all her ten children. I never knew either my father or mother to have any sickness but that of which they died. He at 89 and she at 85 years of age. They lie buried together at Boston, where I some years since placed a marble over their grave with this inscription Josiah Franklin and Abiah, his wife, lie here interred. They lived lovingly together in wedlock 55 years. Without an estate, were any gainful employment by constant labor and industry with God's blessing. They maintained a large family comfortably and brought up thirteen children and seven grandchildren reputably. From this instance, reader, be encouraged to diligence in thy calling and distrust not providence. He was a pious and prudent man, she a discreet, and virtuous woman. Their youngest son, in filial regard to their memory, places this stone. J.F., born 1655, died 1744. A.F., born 1667, died 1652. By my rambling digressions, I perceive myself to be grown old. I used to write more methodically, but one does not dress for a private company as for a public ball. Tis perhaps only negligence. To return, I continued thus employed in my father's business for two years, that is, till I was twelve years old and my brother John, who was bred to that business, having left my father, Mary, and set up for himself at Rhode Island, there was all appearance that I was destined to supply his place and become a tallow Chandler. But my dislike to the trade continuing. My father was under apprehension that if he did not find one for me more agreeable, I should break away and get to sea as his son Josiah had done, to his great vexation. He therefore sometimes took me to walk with him, and see joiners, bricklayers, turners, braziers, etc., at their work, that he might observe my inclination, and endeavor to fix it on some trade or other on land. It has ever since been a pleasure to me to see good workmen handle their tools, and it has been useful to me, having learned so much by it as to be able to do little jobs myself in my house when a workman could not readily be got, and to construct little machines for my experiments while the intention of making the experiment was fresh and warm in my mind. My father at last fixed upon the cutler's train, and my uncle Benjamin's son Samuel who was bred to that business in London, being about that time established in Boston. I was sent to be with him some time on liking, but his expectations of a fee with me displeasing my father, I was taken home again. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.